Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it's your first time here, my name is John. I am the lead pastor, and let me just let you know right off the bat, we will not be talking about airplanes or airports, because that's lame. I don't know why he's into that so much. And like, he's using these codes. Like, we have any idea what he's talking about. Who actually calls it like FLL? Fort Lauderdale Airport, okay? You're not impressing anybody. Anyway, we are, <laughs> we are in this series called Now Boarding, and if it's your first time here, welcome. Maybe you joined us for Easter, and now you're back checking us out on a non-holiday day. So here we are. Welcome. We appreciate you checking us out on a Sunday. But we are starting this brand new series called Now Boarding, and I'm excited about it. And I think the bumper did a really good job talking about what this whole series is about, but essentially it's this idea that wherever we are in life, we're never settled. Isn't that the case? It's kind of like, you know, you're doing something here, but you're always already thinking about what's the next thing coming down the line. I mean, even right now, you guys are, you know, you came to church, you've already checked that off, even though it hasn't really started yet, and you're thinking, all right, we got brunch next, I got to get my clothes. I mean, I'm doing the same thing and I'm talking. All right, we're always thinking about what the next thing is. And, and our hope for this series is that it's going to sort of guide us in this conversation of how to prepare for what's next. Or how to prepare for where you're going if you want to stay on that airplane theme for Adam. Because we're all going different places. We all have different, what I'll call, nexts. And hopefully for you, those nexts that you have, you're looking forward to it. Maybe that's something that you're looking forward to doing. I don't know what those are. It looks different for everybody. But for you, maybe it's, you know, graduation. Maybe you're getting ready to graduate high school and, and you're thinking about college. College is the next thing. Maybe you're going to get married soon. Weddings, that's exciting. That's a big next. How about a new job? I feel like in South Florida, people are always getting new jobs. And so you're wondering what's next? What's the next big thing coming down? Maybe you're a little older. Maybe the kids are leaving house and it's going to be an empty nest soon. And, and you're looking at your spouse and you're going, do we remember how to do this kind of a thing? Like, do we know what it's like just to be by ourselves? And maybe you're lucky enough if your next is retirement. But whatever the case may be, you kind of, you look at this list and you, you maybe see your next and it's exciting, but at the same time, it's a little stressful, okay? Just a little stressful because maybe your last next thing didn't go so well. Maybe you're a person who says, you know, I just, I don't do well with nexts. And if I'm being honest with you, because we're all friends here, historically, I have not done well with nexts. And so I'm looking forward to this series perhaps as much as you are because I really want to get better at being prepared for what's next. Now, here's why we struggle with nexts. Whatever your, your next thing is, and it's different for all of us, whatever your next thing is, it always leads to change. And change, even good change, leads to stress. Psychologists will tell you that. Any kind of change in your life, good or bad, leads to stress because you're going from what you know to what you don't know. And the human body doesn't like not knowing these things, okay? But all change leads to stress, even exciting things. So I was trying to think of what's an example of an exciting thing that definitely gives stress. And well, number one is preparing for a wedding. And that's an exciting thing, but that is absolutely full of, I mean, it's expensive, lots of personalities you got to deal with, lots of choices. That's a very stressful thing. But if you're a parent in the room, one of the most, let's call it momentous events in your life, which were, which were so exciting, but also so filled with stress, is your child's first day at school. Now, I don't have any kids, okay? I don't have any kids, but this year, I got to be a part of some child's first 
day of kindergarten. My good friend Scott, his daughter Julia, was starting kindergarten this year. And the night before she started, he called me up and he goes, John, we got a problem. My car just broke down. So I, I need you, I'll give you the booster seat, I need you to come to my house and pick us up and take me and Julia to her first day of, of kindergarten. Can you do that? I go, oh, I, I can do that. I, I want to see this. And so I get there. Here's a picture from that day, okay? I think this is really cute, right? Of course, I'll be all. He's watching online right now. Can you see this guy? She has strep throat. She can't be here. Another joy of parenting. So he's watching her. They're taking pictures. They got signs. They're taking pictures with her and of her, and I'm taking pictures of them, taking the pictures. And it's just like a really exciting time in everybody's life. And now I get in the car, and I'm driving them, and he's talking to her in the back seat, and they're talking about what the day is going to look like. And she's excited, but you can hear eh, just a little bit of fear in her voice. And then they hop out. And I'm kind of watching now this little munchkin make her way to the, into the school building. And this backpack is just like twice the size of her. And the little ponytail is bobbing around. And in that moment, I, I just stopped and I thought, you know, I right now am a part of a big, major event in the lives of these two people. I mean, my buddy Scott right now is watching a major part of his life change forever. Gone is the baby girl. Now she's going off to school. And I'll take it a step further. He's watching a major part of his life walk towards the next major part of her life. And the questions are like, what, is she going to have friends today? And she's thinking, am I going to find friends? Is she going to be a good student? And she's wondering, am I going to be a good student? And when we're talking about these next things, these major events, whatever's coming up next, when we're talking about the future, yeah, it's exciting. But it's also a little stressful because we just don't know what the future holds. And it's this future that I want to zone in on today and over the next couple of weeks. And I want us to ask this question just for ourselves. Are there things that I can do now to prepare for what's next? And the simple answer is no. Okay, let's pray. No, I'm kidding. There, uh, I, wish, I wish it were that easy and we all go home and go to brunch. No. Okay, yes, there are things that you can do. And that's what we're going to talk about over the series of the next couple of weeks. Um, but there's two things as we kind of begin. There's two things that you need to keep in mind. And it, if you begin to understand these two things, it will prepare you to better understand what we're talking about today and what we'll be talking about in the future. Now, in the theme of airplanes, okay, when we're packing, so to speak, to go to whatever's next, the new job, the new relationship, the new move, the whatever it's gonna be, whatever you're packing, for this what's next. You pack you. Okay, wherever you go, there you are. Hey, you just show up and that's you. And you got your history and you got your baggage and you got your sense of morals and your character. You bring you. What also happens way too frequently is that we fool ourselves. And we fool ourselves by saying, well, once I get to that next thing, then things will be different. Once I get to college, then things will be different. Once I get into the new relationship, then things will be different. Once I get into that new town or that new job, then things will be different. So we fool ourselves into thinking that a, like a new view is a new you. That these outside variables are going to change who we are on the inside. Now, I was trying to think of where we see this most, most frequently. And I, you see this often in relationships that are a little bit, I'll call it dysfunctional. They're, they're not like out of control, but they're just like a little off. And if you see yourself in what I'm about to describe, you just feel free to come and talk to me. But it's this idea that you see people that are 
dating, okay? They're dating, and things are like a, just a little off. You have friends that are like this. It's a little off. And they say to themselves, well, if we just move in together, well, then things will get better. And so they move in together, and it actually works. And things get better until it doesn't work. And then they say, well, if we just, if we just get married, then things will get better. So they get married, and things get better, and it works until it doesn't work. You know what it is? It's a dog. We, if we just get that dog that I saw down there in Lauderdale by the sea, that really cute one, if we just get that one, things will be better. And they get the dog, and it works until it doesn't. And you know where this one's going. They finally say, if we just, you know what, if we just have that baby, then things will get better. And they do. And it works until it doesn't. See, they fool themselves into thinking that these outside variables, these new views are going to change the problems on the inside. Second thing we have to remember is that there's no correlation between knowing what's next, having an idea of what's coming down the line, and preparing for what's next. Since we're talking about marriages, let's just stay in that realm. Every weekend, people are saying, I do. Okay, two weeks ago, I just did a wedding. It was fantastic. It was great. The couple was so lovely. And they said, I do. But those of us who are married, or perhaps even better, those of us who have been married, you know that just because you say, I do, doesn't necessarily mean I can. It just means I plan to. Okay, we, we stand up there in front of the pastor, in front of our wedding party and our family and our friends, and we hear all the oaths that we take and the vows, and we say, I do, and really we're just saying, I'm planning to do all this. But just because you're planning to doesn't mean you've prepared to. And this series is all about preparing for what's next. Today we're going to be in the book of James. We have not been in this book yet here in this church. It's a really good book. Now, James is interesting. James is actually the brother of Jesus. Now, let's stop and just tell you something here. Now, she didn't want me to tell you this, but I'm going to tell it anyway. I was running this message with Christina, the girl who sings. And I was telling her about, well, this is a book is written by James. He's the, he's the brother of Jesus. And I was kind of going through a couple of things. And she goes, wait, 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 stop, stop, stop. James is the brother of Jesus? Yeah. So was, was James' last name also Christ? And I, and I like, I'm like looking at her like, and she goes, no, like, I mean, were they the Christ brothers? And I go, yeah, they're the Christ brothers, okay? Mary and Joseph Christ and their two little, you know, well-behaved boys, Jesus and James. No, Christ is just Messiah in, in Greek. That, so it's Jesus the Messiah, Jesus Christ. But James, when, when Jesus had his earthly ministry, James didn't buy it. James did not believe that Jesus was who he said that he was. I mean, can you fault him? I mean, what would it take for you to believe that your brother was the son of God? But then Easter happened, and James saw what he saw, and everything changed, and he became a major leader in the Christian church. And he weighs in on this whole thing of preparing for what's next. And, and, he, and he ends the discussion today. I'm going to get there and work my way back. But he says, if you do... What I'm suggesting that you do, okay, if you do what I'm suggesting you do, then you will be blessed in what you do. If you do what I'm suggesting you do, you will be blessed in that next season of your life. You will be blessed in that next job or that next relationship. Whatever's coming next, if you do what I ask you to do, you will be blessed. And what James is going to walk us through today is a very simple concept. Actually, it's pretty elementary. And it's actually just one thing. And I'll give you a sneak peek. 
You know what the one thing is already. But the big question is, what are you doing with what you know? So James starts this conversation and he says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. The reason he uses the word listen is because at that time, that audience, most of them, to be honest with you, couldn't read. But they would just listen to the word being read to them because they didn't have their own personal copy of the Bible. And they would have to go to a home church where the pastor or whomever would read to them the scriptures. And James is saying, don't deceive yourself into thinking that just by hearing the word of God, that's going to make a difference in your life. I mean, for us, for a context that we might better understand, let's talk about going to church, okay? James would say, don't deceive yourself into thinking that just because you showed up to church, that it's going to change who you are. Because we think, many of us think that, well, you know what, I showed up at church today, I'm in the room, and I'm better because of it. I showed up two weeks in a row, and because I did, I'm a better person. We, we've taught ourselves to think that because I have attended, that equates to life change. And, and James is saying, no, 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 no. Showing up here doesn't change who you are in here. And that's an odd thing to hear from, uh, you know, someone who's an author in the Bible, for him to say, just because you've read the Bible doesn't mean it's going to change your life. So the question is, what does change us? I mean, if simply hearing the word of God read doesn't change your life, if simply showing up at church doesn't change who you are, then what does? James says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. He's saying it's not enough just to listen. It's not enough just to show up. You got to actually do something with the truth that you've heard. And yet so many of us as Christians, we, we don't do anything. I mean, we've taught ourselves that, well, if you show up at church and, and you see something on the screen or the pastor says something and it makes you feel guilty, well, then your job that Sunday is done. Because we've been led to believe that the only reason you go to church is that so you can feel guilty. And then when you feel guilty, see you next week for more dosage of guilt. All right? But this guilt that you're feeling, that's kind of the word that we use, but Scripture would call it conviction. Okay? And there's a purpose for conviction in our lives. See, the goal for conviction isn't ought to, but will do. Now, this is a little clunky. I'll be honest with you, I tried to figure out a better way to say this, and I couldn't, so I just put it up here. Let me explain to you what I'm trying to say. When you come to church, or when you read Scripture, and all of a sudden you feel a little bit of that, what you might call guilt, Bible calls conviction, that's the Holy Spirit giving you one of these, saying, hey, hey, you need to focus in on this. And the reason the Holy Spirit is prompting you isn't so you say, I ought to change this about my life. The reason the Holy Spirit is prompting you is because he wants you to actually change your life. He wants you not to say, I ought to do this, but I will do this. The problem with ought to is we love that word. The problem with ought to is it makes you feel really good. It makes you feel like you're accomplishing something, but you're not. Because we'll say things like, you know, I really ought to start going to the gym. Yeah, Tuesdays I get off early from work. Thursdays I'm free. I, really, I ought to start going to the gym on those days. I, I ought to start doing that new diet. And we use this language and we start giving ourselves credit for things that we haven't even done yet. James is saying, 
If you get stuck on the ought-tos and you don't make your way into the will-dos, he puts it like this. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says. He's saying anybody who listens to the word of God comes to church and says, you know what, I ought to make that change, but then doesn't do anything with that truth they've heard. He goes, it's like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. He's like, it's like when you hear the truth and you do nothing with it, he's like, it's like holding up a mirror going, oh, oh, that's a mess, okay? You do nothing with it, and you head off to work, having done nothing with what you've just seen. He's painting this picture that a mirror reminds you that something needs to get done. Put another way, a mirror requires a response. When you look at a mirror, hopefully you do something with what you've seen. For example, okay, you look in a mirror, hair needs to be, you know, done a little bit. All right, throw a little gel in there, good to go. You look in a mirror, eyebrows, a little wonky, okay? Pluck them, maybe you go get them waxed, whatever the case may be. Women, you look in the mirror and your hair just looks, yeah, it could really go for a wash. What do you do? Where's the dry shampoo, right? They get the dry shampoo out. I don't know what the dry shampoo is these days, but it is like absolutely flooded the market, all right? And, and here's the thing. Are any women actually showering anymore? Because it just feels like it's just all I hear about. You got the dry shampoo, Moroccan oil. Have you seen that? It's fantastic. And I was like, what is this dry shampoo? So I was Googling it because I'm like, I know it's got a lot of perfume in it. I can smell that. It's just baby powder. That's all it is. You're just putting baby powder in your hair. And I was thinking to myself, you know, with the rate at which we use dry shampoo in this church in about 12 months, y'all women are going to start looking like Marie Antoinette, all right? It's just going to be like by next Easter, it's going to look like three days before the French Revolution in here. Trust me, all right? It's just powdered wigs. That's what, it's, that's what we're going in this country. But here's something else I know about the mirror. I know how long you stand in front of the mirror. You stand there until it gets better. That's what, you stand there until what you see gets better. And frankly, some of you need to stand there longer. No, I'm kidding. No, I am, though. You need to stand there longer. Anyway, so, and here's the thing. Today, maybe you looked in the mirror and you needed some work and you fixed what you need. did your hair and your makeup and, and new clothes or whatever the case may be and you're good to go and you're about to leave the house and you caught a glimpse in another mirror and you go, mm, not good enough and you went back to the drawing board and that's why you're late, okay? But you looked in a mirror, you saw something, you were convicted about what you saw and you did something with it. See, the truth is no one gets credit for just looking into a mirror. Like if you wake up tomorrow and you take a look in the mirror and it's like you look like one of the toxic Avengers, okay, and you do nothing with it and you're heading to work and your boss is like, hey, uh, we just need to have a quick conversation. Um, there's no way that you're going to go speak to the clients today looking how you look. And you go, but I looked in the mirror. It doesn't matter. You didn't do anything with what you saw. And yet, we carry this mindset into our personal and private lives. We'll hear truth and we'll do nothing with it. I mean, for instance, now, this doesn't happen a lot at this church, but you will hear a pastor, and he'll say something convicting, and we'll give him the old Christian moan of affirmation. You know what this one is? The old, mmm, okay? You, okay, you're aware of this. We've got a couple of moaners here, all right? You say something, like he says something, and you're like, mmm, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's Christian code for that's good. That's good. Yeah, that nailed me. That's, that's, that's the truth, what he just said right there. That's a very convicting thing. That's the Christian moan of affirmation. And, and James would hear you give him the old, mm, and he goes, great, what are you, you going to do with what you just moaned about? And you go, what, what are you, 
What do you mean? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back next week and, and moan some more. That's all I'm, I'm going to do with that. And he goes, no, 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 no. See, the problem is that as Christians, when we get involved with the moaning game, all right, we think that's where it ends. We think the fact that we gave it the old CMA, that we recognized that that was truth and said, yeah, what you just said, that, that's convicting. When we give that moan, sometimes we just think, job done. That's all I got to do. All I have to do is recognize that truth was just spoken. James is saying, no, you got, you got to do something with that truth. You got to actually take that a step further. So the Christian moan of affirmation, that's, I've patented that name. That moan actually prompted us here at this church about four years ago to do something very different. Um, maybe about like seven years ago, it was a while ago, I heard a sermon being spoken one time. And it was a great sermon. And um, at the very end of the message, the, the pastor had his bottom line. You know, we do a bottom line here. A lot of pastors will do a bottom line. That one thing that you're to take away, to implement, to, to, you know. And after he wrapped up this whole message, his bottom line, and I remember it to this day, was walk with God. And everyone in the crowd went, mmm, mmm. And I was like, what, what are we moaning about? I mean, honestly, I was like, what? this is the, and I said, I left that day, and I was thinking about, like, this moaning. And I was like, what prompted them to moan so loud for a walk with God? And it dawned on me. Walk with God sounds very spiritual, doesn't it? Walk with God. Mm, yeah, definitely. Walk with. But here's the reason we love to walk with God so much. It requires nothing, Right? What do, you, what do you do with walk with God? And I was thinking to myself, how does walk with God, sounds great, how does walk with God help a single mother whose kids are going crazy? How does walk with God help somebody who's struggling with addiction? How does walk with God help someone who's wrestling around with the claims of Jesus, trying to understand if he or she even believes? When I heard that moan that day over this bottom line of, of walk with God, I said, we've got to change this up. That's why every single week at this church, if, if you've been here before, you know we put one word up on the screen every single week. What's the word? You guys pay attention. Every single week we put this word on the screen because we were convicted about this. We wanted to make sure that you know what to do with what you've heard. Because James says it's not good enough just to hear the word of God. It's not good enough just to show up in church. You have to actually do something with what you've heard. In, in, in line with this series, let me just put it this way. If you're in a habit, let's call it, if you're in a habit of seeing something but doing nothing now, like if you're in a habit of, of seeing truth but doing nothing with that truth now, when you move into your next thing, you will continue to see something and do nothing. Whatever that next thing is in your life, you will take your habit now and carry it into your habit then, which means you won't be prepared. So James doesn't leave us in the lurch. He says, I, I want to give you a habit. And it's what we talked about in the very beginning. And he goes, if you do this habit, if you do this thing that I'm suggesting you do, you will be blessed in what you do. So he says, but whoever looks intently and this word intently is this idea of almost getting down on one knee and staring and internalizing. 
He goes, whoever looks intently into the perfect law. Now, let me explain to you perfect law here, because this could be a long discussion, but I'm going to boil it down to the, the most simple terms. When he uses the term perfect law, James, in this situation, is not referring to the Jewish law. He is not referring to the 613 laws of the Pharisees that we talked about all last series in Follow Me. He's not talking about that at all. James, in this particular instance, when he says um, the perfect law, he is talking about the teachings of Jesus Christ. He says, when you stare intently at the teachings of Jesus Christ, they give freedom. And I think that's interesting. I think it's very interesting that he, he juxtaposed the term law with freedom because we don't, we don't think of that. I mean, when we hear law, we think the opposite of freedom. When we think of law, we think the reduction of freedom. When we hear law, we think that is a binding concept, not a freeing concept. So you might ask the question, okay, James, freedom from what? Glad you asked. Okay, freedom from sin and regret and unwise choices and undesirable consequences. And, and if you're like me, you look at this list and you go, yeah, I don't want that anymore. I, I don't want to live with sin in my life anymore. I, I don't want to wake up on a Saturday morning with regret anymore. I'm tired of making unwise choices. I, I don't want any more undesirable consequences in my life. Yes, I don't want that anymore. And yet, we say yes to Jesus we call him our Savior, and we scoff at his teaching. We say we believe in God, we know he's the creator of the universe, and yet we scoff at his word. And we'll say things like, that is not freedom at all. When we look at the teachings of Jesus and some of what he says and what he asks us to do, we go, that is the opposite of freedom. I don't want to do that. So I want to do an exercise with you. I, wanted to, I want to find a piece of, let's call it, wisdom in the Scripture. Something that we would look at perhaps in 2019 and say, that's obsolete, okay? That's outdated. That is the opposite of freedom. So let's just get awkward here for a second, all right? I like getting awkward. Let's talk about sexual purity, shall we? All right, Christina says you have to define that because we don't know what you're talking about. Sex outside of marriage. Let's just put it that way, okay? When we hear that idea of no sex outside of marriage, a lot of us kind of go like, okay, like that. I'm not interested in that, okay? I, I'm, not, I'm not interested in this concept of waiting for marriage, right? Any kind of talk about, oh, you should wait for marriage. That's, that's met with laughter. They say things like, well, that, okay, that's cute. But, I mean, that might have been great 2,000 years ago. That might have been great in 1950. It's 2019, okay? In 2019, we test drive all of our relationships, Okay, we gotta take them for gotta take them for a spin. Be caught, and you're laughing because you know people. You, you just listen. If you're if you're gonna marry this person, you gotta know what you're getting into. Okay, as though God's gonna bring someone into your life that's not gonna work. Okay, now you got you got you got to test drive it all. And, and if you're someone who holds yourself to this wisdom, let me let me just tell you a little bit about this wisdom that you're using. You're you're fooling yourself. This is not wisdom at all. This is just pure appetite and desire. I want to tell you a story. Um, about a guy, a friend of mine, um, who was very much into this test driving of relationships, so to speak. He's a guy my age, um, been a Christian 
majority of his life. And about a year and a half ago, we were having lunch, and we were just having a conversation, and he was just, he was opening up to me that he was struggling in life, that things were kind of like this, and hitting a lot of roadblocks in life. And, and then he started telling me about his dating life. And he was telling me about all of his, how do I put it, latest conquests, okay? And I just stopped, and I said, hey, hey, just, I got to be honest with you. I'm not sure the life that you're living on a Friday and Saturday night is what Jesus had in mind for a Christian guy who's single. And he laughed. And I said, like, like, do what you want. I said, you know, it's your life. It's your prerogative. I would just challenge you. I would just challenge you to, to pray to God and ask what it would be like in your life to decide to go without. And he laughed. And, and, and lunch was over. Unbeknownst to me, he started to pray about it. And he actually said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to take John up on his challenge. And he tried to change this habit. And, and you know, changing habits are hard. But he called me a couple of months ago. And he said this. As he attempted to obey the truth, okay, God made it easier for him to obey the truth. As he was trying to break this habit, and it was difficult, and sometimes he did it, and sometimes he failed, he said, as the days went on and I tried to obey God more, he made it easier for me to obey. And then he said something amazing. He said that in this process, God actually removed the lust from his heart. He said that God actually removed that overwhelming feeling that he had to test drive every relationship. And he said something that was amazing. And I said, oh, wait, wait, wait. I got to write it down. And would you mind if I shared it with my church? And he goes, no, go ahead. He said, this is his exact words. The removal of lust from my heart has affected every area of my life every area in a positive way. What he was saying is that by applying the perfect law, so to speak, by applying that law, it set him free. That, that lunch, I just showed him the truth. I just put up the mirror. He saw the truth and he did something with it. And now he's saying, I am being affected positively in every aspect of my life. And I'm just wondering, could James be onto something here? He continued. He said this, the regrets that he had, they block us from God. And when they are removed, then my connection with God is amazingly better and my joy level, how about that? My joy level goes up and my effectiveness increases. For this man's whole life, he substituted his truth for God's truth. And all he got was regret. And now... He said yes to God's perfect law, and he feels joy. And, and he would tell you that a year and a half ago, as he told me, he was living the life. Now, he'll tell you, now he's truly living. Now he's truly living, and he's being blessed in every aspect of his life. This man is an example of what James is trying to tell us. When James says, but whoever looks intently at the perfect law that gives freedom, and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but actually doing it, then they will be blessed in what they do. James is saying, you can't just hear the truth and do nothing. You got to actually do something with what you've heard. Solomon, who is the Bible says, the wisest man that ever lived, he spoke about this issue. He said this, happy is the man who does not walk in the way sinful men tell him to, or stand in the path of sinners, or sit with those who laugh. 
at the truth. He goes on. But he finds joy in the law of the Lord and thinks about it, his law, day and night. And then he wraps up with this. Whatever he does will work out well for him. Solomon is saying that when you follow Jesus, when you follow that perfect law, when you follow and implement the wisdom of God, it will set you up for success in every area of your life. Why? Because the seasons of our life are connected. What you do now, today, impacts who you will be. What you do now and today impacts where you will be. So if you want success in that next season of your life, in that next thing, James is saying, start preparing now. Jesus taught on this concept, and he did it in a parable. And this parable was actually later turned into like a Sunday school song that I actually sang as a child. I'm just going to read the beginning part of it because that's all we need. Jesus says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose up. That's the old song. Remember, and the rain came down and the streams. Okay, maybe you didn't sing that song. Okay, and the winds blew and it beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Jesus is saying that you lay a solid foundation in your life by being a doer, not a hearer. That whatever happens in your life, whatever's next, you will be ready for it because you have made God's wisdom your foundation. One of the hardest parts about being a pastor, one of the hardest parts about being in a church, are hearing stories that could have been avoided. You know, we'll get an email or get a call of a coffee appointment, and it's, it's, it's with someone who, you know, to stay in this theme, who had looked into the mirror, who knew what the right thing to do was, and just chose not to. And now there's regrets. And now there's unwanted consequences. And it breaks your heart. And as I'm writing this message this week, I, just, I was asking myself, how much longer are we going to continue to do the things that we know we shouldn't be doing? So what's the practical? There's the word. What do you do with a message like this? Every Sunday, so you know, we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure that you can leave here and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So I want to give you just two questions this week that I want you to mull over and meditate on as you begin thinking about what's next for you. First question is this. What are you doing now that you shouldn't be doing? What are you doing now that you shouldn't be doing. And maybe you, you say to yourself, well, when I get to that next thing, then I'll stop. Whatever that next thing. When I get to that next thing, then I'll stop. James and Jesus would say, stop now. And set yourself for success then. What are you not doing that you should be doing? Likewise, 
Maybe you're a person who's saying, you know, when I just get to that next thing, that next place, that next job, that next relationship, when I just get to the next thing, then I'll start. James and Jesus would say, start now. Set yourself up for success then. See, we at this church, we believe that Jesus' teachings will make your life better and make you better at life. That if you want to be prepared for whatever's next, just follow that perfect law. Jesus is saying you got to be a doer, not a hearer. So as we board that plane, so to speak, that next season of our life, whatever that is, let me ask you a question. Will you be prepared? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity to come here today. I want to thank you for every single person that decided to show up today. My prayer, Lord, is that we would actually do something with what we heard. Jesus, your teachings, your wisdom, you didn't give it to us to make us right with God. You died on the cross for that. You gave us your teachings so that we could live a better life. You gave us your teachings and your wisdom so that we could live a life that's free of regret, free of unwise choices, Lord. And I pray that today you would give us the strength to just begin doing what we know we should do and the courage to stop doing the things we know we shouldn't be doing. Lord, I don't know what's going on in the lives of everyone here today. But I know we have things going on. I know we have requests, Lord. And I pray that right now you would meet every single person at the place of their need. Whatever that silent prayer is that they keep making to you, Lord, I pray that today you hear that prayer. That lives are changed. And we put all of this in your son Jesus' precious name. Amen.